Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Welcome along to Series 3, Episode 2 of the Inner Huddle podcast. I'm Pez, he's Jeff, and together we are Pez and Jeff. And today we have got five or six questions that have been sent in from the general public. Some people I know, some random ones that I don't. And we've also got my book in front of us again, Jeff. So the plan will be to answer a question and then maybe dip into the book with a random one and then back to the questions again and see how that format goes. The reason being is we've had over 100 questions sent in now um, over the last series and a little bit beyond and um, we're starting to repeat a bit of the same old ground aren't we which isn't always a bad thing um, to get important messages out there but we want to freshen it up a little bit and um, try and uh, give as much value as we can to the questions that are coming in. Um, how you been anyway Jeff? Yeah I'm much better than the last time we were in this room. Oh yes. Last time I was suffering with a bad back and man flu wasn't I so. I've caught a bit of your bad back as well Jeff but you know me I'm a trooper I won't moan about it like you did obviously so uh, just don't have to worry about that. You, you, you're looking well Jeff. Thanks mate. Big smile. So those who are watching on YouTube all eight of you that'll <laughs> uh, uh, see your beaming smile my friend. Do you think I had a bad back from carrying you all these years? Yes, Jeff. There I, he is. When I was struggling, you, <laughs> you, that's how you caught the bad back. Absolutely. Trying, well, I'm trying people to have been me. saying it for years, Jeffrey. But carrying me is a lot heavier, isn't it? So okay. I expect your back's a lot worse than mine was. <laughs> yeah, it be. Well, I'm quite prepared to carry you for the next hour and a bit, mate. So top man. Um, Wessex. Wessex. Wessex Futsal Club. Two back-to-back wins. First time ever in Tier One. Well done. Congratulations. So. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you've got yourself mid-table and looking rosy. For now, yeah. For We've now. got still quite a big chunk of the season left, but um, yeah, just over two weeks ago, we were sitting bottom of the league and staring relegation in the face. And then it's amazing what two wins can do with the home crowd in Andover. Yeah, and uh, the top two are flying, but below that, it's all pretty tight, isn't it? So I think anyone can beat anyone on their day. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if the top four changed between now and the end of the season. Was it um, Loughborough third and you did beat them? Yeah, so, so we've beaten third and fifth in the last two games, which good. I've never beaten Loughborough before in my life, their first team, so that was that was a nice one to tick off the bucket list. Yes. Well, well done, mate. All going well. Um, and if um, you're new to the podcast, obviously it's a podcasts mainly aimed at parents that have young aspiring footballers at home depending on what's not dependent on having any experience we try and um um what's the word i'm looking for jeff equip good word um if it's the right word anyway it's designed for everybody is what i'm trying to say jeffrey so no matter whether you've played football before or whether it's completely new to you, um, you'll find something. So we've got some questions that are sent in for us using our core, probably 50 years between us, Jeff, something like that, coaching experience from Premier League and Premier League players right down to groups that still got children in nappies. We've had, haven't we? Sort of the kickstart group. So lots of experience to tap into. 
got the book here. Did you win? Did you score? How to help your child to see football and life. So we'll dip into that shortly. Um, and then we just read out the questions. And uh, waffle, really, don't we? And, and hope people can pick the uh, the bones out of it. Speaking of children in nappies, it was a player that was once in nappies in their first session that scored another international goal for Georgia, wasn't it, this this week? Yeah, so George Chibinidze is um, uh, at Bournemouth. I think he's going to be a scholar there next year. I think he's in his last year of the academy. But yeah, so he scored another goal. I think it's his third for Georgia, which is from his father's side of the family. Um, and yeah, his first session with us, he was in his nappy because his brother was at the main session and his dad said, can you come and join in? And I was kind of like, well, if you help out. Um, yeah. and, and he did for about 10 years or so, didn't he? So yeah. brilliant stuff. So well done, George. Another goal for Georgia. He's also flying for Bournemouth. So real nice little story. Just goes to prove what you can do with hard work. Consistency. And what was the other word, Jeff, that we talked about? Perseverance. There we are. Well remembered. Chapter 91. Chapter 91. Yeah, that's going to be stuck on you forever, isn't it? Right, shall we go in with question number one from the general public? Yeah, and you're going to read the first one out because it's a long one. It's a long one. That's the deal. Hi, Perry. Well, that's me, Jeff. Hi, Perry. Loving your book and the podcast. Oh, you can see why I put that at number (laughs) one. Um, I recently started coaching my boys team who will move up to under sevens this year. There seems to be a lot of pressure from people saying that they need to be playing loads of summer tournaments to get them ready for their first season. But I'm just not sure it's the right thing for them and they can get the same development playing small games together as a team. I don't want to hold them back or for them to get hammered every week come September either as that won't be enjoyable. So I wondered what your views were. I answered, asked it. Okay. You answer it. I, my favourite memories of youth football are summer tournaments mm-hmm. and not for trying to get ready for the next season just for the experience of the summer tournaments because more often than not the sun was out there would be nice smelling food at most places you go to um, and just hanging out with your mates all day with 10, 12, whatever the length of the games 15 minute games thrown in um, I think it's a really good thing for development because the games are quite short so even if you do get beat by a few it's not going to end up being a cricket score mm-hmm. um, so I think it's a great idea to do it but not necessary to get them ready um, for the f- following season just for a great experience for enjoying the yeah. tournament for itself okay well, I'm going to give a bit of balance to him because I'm not a fan of tournaments you're not no, not really. Um, although I take your point that it could be a good experience and it's a good chance for the team to get together and bond. Um, I actually replied to um, the guy that sent this through um, and telling him that I wasn't a particular fan of them because a lot of them nowadays, and even when I was taking teams, are highly competitive. So it tends to be about how are we going to win? And it tends to be a, a lot of hoofing the ball forwards very quickly. The the lads and, and girls that can hoof the ball the furthest tend to be the ones that get picked. The keeper gets the ball and whacks it forward um, because you only get 
I mean, I've been at tournaments, Jeff, and you only get four-minute matches. Wow. Eight seem to have been, I would say, the average, but you can get 10 or 12-minute games depending on the size of the tournament. But say you've got eight minutes, you know if you concede one for a mistake, it could be you done, you've got to score two to win. So it's it's very hectic, it's probably the right word. Lots of parents shouting, everyone getting overexcited. Um, and if you average out how much time each player gets on the ball in those eight minutes, you're talking seconds and I don't think that's enough for them to improve as footballers. Having said that, I did say two very well-run smaller tournaments would be a good idea for the reasons that you said. Um, and I said you'll learn a lot about your players um, and probably more importantly, you'll learn a lot about your parents. So you'll learn who the nervous ones are, who the ones that shout out at their children a lot, like the ones to watch which ones are keeping the water bottle next to them so the kid has to go over there so that they can get a little pep talk from mum or dad. Um, you'll learn a lot. Which one's late to, to them all? Do you know what I mean? So I think it's a good experience. But as you said, to get them ready for the new season and certainly improving them as footballers, probably um, not the greatest. If you could just flip it, because it's under sevens, isn't it? If it was, yeah. Not well, you've got to think they're under sixes now, so some of them will be five years of yeah. age. So, if, if it if it wasn't called a tournament and if it was called a festival of football, with no semi final and final at that age group, should be at that age now. I don't know if they've changed and reverted back with no medals at the end of it and team photos holding up a big trophy. Then it would just be about development, wouldn't it? Every manager and every coach would rotate their players around every three minutes or whatever mm -hmm. depending on numbers they've got in their squad and everyone would develop it would be a development thing rather than a uh, results thing and an outcome thing to get them ready as it says in quotes yeah I mean the concerning thing was the word pressure there seems to be a lot of pressure from people saying well there'll always be pressure and there'll be pressure at the tournaments to get results because say in a 10 minute game you get beat 10 nil then everyone knows that some of the parents are going to be looking at some of the teams that are doing well in the tournament and think, oh, perhaps my six or seven-year-old will be better over there. So there's always a bit of pressure to do well. Um, so try and, try and uh, take the pressure off yourself, especially talking to your parents and communicating well with what your philosophy is. If you're going to rotate the players and it's going to be about development, then stick to your beliefs and your philosophy, but communicate it well to the parents from the start. Because if you get a couple of parents who are turning up thinking we're going to play to win and we're play our best team all the time and you know not rotate positions and things and then you you do all those things you know for development then there might be a bit of conflict. So good communication is key there. Um, That's a, you've made some good points there. To be fair, pairs. I've just looking back with my rose tinted goggles yeah, and on, and there wasn't there wasn't people's strutting around trying to put together the best team in the area back then you just played for your local town or village or whatever with your mates from well, school mainly yeah and yeah. yeah i can't think of too many players that weren't in my year at school at the same school as me um and i don't ever remember some dad or scouting quote marks i'm gonna say again <laughs> going around trying to put together some super team of grassroots players in the local area to enter some jumped-up league, to be honest. It was just turn up, play with your mates, 
go yeah, home. Yeah, so that's a, a, a modern time. problem, isn't it? I mean, but these now, could turn up it, at a tournament. If and... you do well, you're probably going to have most of your players robbed for yeah. some super team that's just starting up, that's created a badge and said we're entering this all spangly league. Yeah, so a modern scenario might be this is a little village team, all nice, all friends, turn up to the to the tournament and then they get beaten by a super duper club that puts players together the best players you know have to be the best to be the best you have to play the best sort of attitude yeah um, and you might come across one of those and get beaten seven or eight nil and then find that two of your players have moved to them by the start of the season that is a modern problem didn't and really get that no we we had the, the chance to be consistent and persevere so um, the first team i played in would get beat 15 nil and you know, after six, seven, eight years of development and just playing with the same people, we were the ones that were winning tournaments and trophies and things like that. So that probably wouldn't be an opportunity for us to have now, would it? Because if you're not doing great, your best players probably would leave to go to a different club back then. And if you were doing great straight away, most of your players would get poached to go to somewhere else, wouldn't they? So yeah. that little village team that mm -hmm. I played for, um, it's rarer now. Probably would have folded within yeah. a couple of seasons. Add so. in social media as well. So then you get home and you scrolling through yeah. Facebook and Instagram. And then you see loads of photos from the tournament of children with medals and trophies and things. And um, that makes it worse, especially for the parents who always think the grass is green. Ah, so. I'm annoyed now because I've come around to your point of view and well, taken my rose no, because I think off. I think you've given the perfect balance to it because you do have to balance out the experience. So pick a couple of really good tournaments or smaller ones um, that say all the right things. Maybe ask some people what a nice little small tournament is with not too many teams. Yeah. Um, sort of like you say, small villagey teams. Under seven, see if you can find a festival of football rather than a tournament. Yeah, I'm not so sure whether they're... They're not called festivals now, and whether everyone does get a medal or whether it's reverted back, which a lot of non-competitive football seems to have done, going through various loopholes um, to be winners and losers and finalists and things. But So there's no easy answer to it. I, I did say pick a couple of good ones um, so that they get the experience and you learn a lot from them. And like you say, you look back on it and think, oh, what a great day that was, and they don't remember the results it's just making sure that no harm's done to your team during it but then if they don't get an experience like they're saying and then they get to their first game and they freeze because they've never played together before and and they get hammered then they might start losing players so there's no obvious answer and quick fix for this but I did say try and find a couple of nice teams you can have a friendly against and you know play at their ground play at your ground or wherever you can can um, get a pitch and a team that's similar to to yours that's um, obviously same age group they're not always going to say same level of experience but they'll all be at that age the same level of ex experience um, maybe with a similar sort of development philosophy to yourselves and, and have a friendly I even put what I used to like to do with my younger ones was play four quarters in the first three um, you'd play as your team and you'd rotate positions and everything obviously and then the fourth one you'd mix in with the other team so you put bibs on so you'd have some of their players on your team and that seemed to be really fun and the kids absolutely loved it and 
almost diffused any score line that was, may have been brewing from, yeah, from the other three. That's quite a nice thing to do. And if you've got big squads, you can maybe break it down into, you know, split your pitch in half and have, I don't know, 3v3s. I don't know, what do they play at under sevens anyway? Fives. Fives. So you could have a couple of 3v3s go in across the pitch if you've yeah. got enough goals and things and then and then put it back together for your big match to finish. Yeah, it's got to sort of think outside the box a little bit of how you can maximise your time um, or their time with contact with the ball and how everyone's going to get get the most out of it. So yeah, a couple of friendlies, a couple of tournaments and then training sessions where you, you play small-sided games. I think that sounds like a good summer and best way to prepare for it. But subjecting children to a little bit of nerves and competition is good early. So there might be someone going, no, it's good, they should get out there and, you know, be subjected to competition and losing and winning and stuff. And I, I think that's probably right. There's something in that. But it's got to be controlled, not over the top. Yeah, it's a good start, Jeff. Yeah. Are we going... And we gave some balance because we disagree with each other for once. Question. A little bit. Question, chapter, question. Yeah, do you want to do question, chapter? Shall we go to the book? Yeah, I need to get the... Um... Oh, the, the random number generator up. I did this earlier and then forgot about it and put it back in my pocket. Huh. Well, there you go. Professional as always, 150 Jeffrey. chapters, wasn't it? 150, so yeah, but 1 to 150. We do actually have a list of ones we've had before because, believe it or not, We've done two episodes with the random number generator and we repeated chapter 16 twice. I was horrified when I went through them today and uh, just to make a list of them. Thought, oh no. I need to watch them back that? and see. Um, We've how... probably totally contradicted ourselves. <laughs> so uh, yeah, maybe don't go back anyone and check what we said for chapter 16 twice. Are you ready, Jeff? You just told everyone to do that now, really. Haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three, two, one, randomize. 142. 142. Do you want to check to see if we've had it first, Pez? Oh, yeah. I should have put them in. Uh... We've had 145. No. So they We're are looking good. 142. 142. Oh, my goodness. This is the first um, chapter um, of the last section of the book. And the last section of the book is... Individual practices, training at home, and skill acquisition. Very controversial. These pages are in black. Yes, it's like a section separator. And the quote for this section is by Arsene Wenger. And is, if you have no technical skill at 14, you can forget it. You will never be a football player. And you can find that on YouTube if you want more context to the question he was asked when he said it. Um, so, number 142. The title is, What is Skill and What is Technique? Do you want to read out the opening quote? Hang on a minute. I might be in the wrong place, so you better read it. It's 142 up there, look. It's the next, next one, after the, the black page. One more, there it is. No, I got you. Opening quote from Will Smith. Yeah, from Will Smith. <laughs> Talent. You have naturally. Skill is only developed by hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. Will Smith. Will Smith. Yes. So I shall read the first 
paragraph, maybe the first two, um, and then we'll have a little chat about it. The best place for me to start is to explain the difference between technique and skill. Technique is what a player does with the ball. A skill is how those techniques are then applied in game situations. Techniques can be mastered in isolation, but they need opportunities to transfer those techniques into functional skills. It is possible to jump straight to the functional skill phase and then learn on the job, but skill acquisition, in my experience, is accelerated when correct individual technical work has been carried out previously. In essence, players earn the right to be skillful through purposeful, progressive, exploratory and repetitive practice. Skill is decision making, the art of knowing where and when to use a technique. Technique is the actual thing being carried out. For example, kicking a ball is a technique. The skill is in doing it in a game situation, like passing to a teammate. A Cruyff turn on its own is just a technique, but if done successfully in a game situation, it then becomes a skill. Free play is where skills are learned best, not in isolation with a ball each. Time spent working purposely with a ball is where children accelerate the skill learning process by learning and repeating the techniques. There we are, that's the first two paragraphs. There's a couple of pages there. Thoughts? So lazy that in it, just looking at you and going, thoughts? No, uh, I, was, I was just thinking, can you remember the moment in your life where that penny dropped, where you, because this is something that gets dismissed so much, isn't it, that working with the ball individually is, it gets dismissed as pointless because then you've got to relearn the skill in a match environment because of all the decisions and the information you have to take in, and that is what skill is, executing that move or decision in a game scenario. That's the skill bit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, can you remember the point in your life where you had a ball at your feet or when you went, because I did that, I got that outcome with the skill? So the, the techers training, as you call it, the technique training, individual, and then it, it paid off and you felt that moment where... Yeah, well, firstly, I'll say the trouble with um, the opinion that everything would need to be relearned in a game situation so it's pointless which is what i think you started by saying i understand it and if before i realized the benefits to it if someone had explained that to me with a bit of passion i would have agreed and to a certain extent they are right in terms of that is the best way is to learn playing the game and experimenting and trying things i think what those people don't quite understand is doing some stuff in isolation accelerates that learning that's already the best way if that makes sense to you jeff yep um so to dismiss it out of hand um i think's not great i wouldn't say wrong because i want people to have their own opinions but i think it's great um and there was a quote by janino when he was asked about static sort of practices or I don't even like static because that it's like um, choreographed stuff comes to my mind with people dancing on the ball but um, moves done in isolation you know he said on their own it's just like learning to swim on dry land you know you could do all the techniques for the butterfly and um, the breaststroke and things out of the pool but you need to learn why you're in the pool that's excellent but 
um, there are things you can do in isolation that will accelerate the learning for when you do go in. Like boxers, they practice many different elements in isolation from pad work to skipping for footwork to, you know, slipping and sliding under a bit of rope and lots of other things, catching a ball off a wall and trying to think of all the stuff that, that my son does. They're not always in there sparring and learning on the job, are they? That would be nuts and, and quite dangerous, really. They need to learn the basics, the fundamentals. Um, and when they get good, then they need to learn some tricks of the trade and some skills and some disguise and etc etc so i think the two can go in tandem when the penny dropped for me sorry jeff for answering your question simon clifford at brazilian soccer schools and then looking into will coerva's work and johan cruyff's philosophies which is saying because johan cruyff's come out with some sort of statement about skill and technique and a little bit of it's been taken out as if he wasn't um, a big fan um, people use that sometimes but he was from the Wilkowerva School of Technical Development so um, you have to take everything in in context um, yeah Simon Clifford at Brazilian Soccer Schools was the first one Jeff who I thought oh there's a different way I, I instantly got it there was no cues there was children with a ball each they were making mistakes, which meant their um, brain and body and neurological pathways were adapting to those mistakes and they were getting feedback, like a feedback loop from their mistakes and trying again, all individually, not just a queue of kids and X passes to Y and overlaps to here and, and that type of coaching. It was, you know, ball each, try this, try that. And the children could go at their own pace and their own rate and I just I just got it and the penny shots and then I read um, Bounce by Matthew Syed is that right I think it was that's yeah. right um, and I started thinking oh, this book could have been just written for me and I sort of went on this journey and kept adding bits from uh, was it Malcolm Gladwell as well I know some of his stuff for 10,000 hours is a bit controversial but I kind of got the concept of it all um, and that was my foundation for, for all my learning. But I'm a massive fan of free play as well. And kids going and exploring. For example, in our sessions, Jeff, we show children the possibilities of how to practice a technique or something, a possibility that they could do in a match. We then break it down to show them what we call the techers, sort of technique. And we call that the cheats and hacks of how to... Um, the scientific terms lay down myelin isn't it over your neurological pathways um people call it muscle memory and then we show them how to then try that and then put it back into the match move then go and do it a bit randomly with lots of people together so that you have to adapt to them and then try it in your free play match with no pressure so we do have sort of steps that go through it leading up to the real thing if you like what was the question i asked you again when did the penny drop yeah and I knew, I knew that it would trigger I, me. I knew how passionate <laughs> you would be about speaking about it. Well, that's why I got a whole section on it here. And there's even yeah. a chapter in here about. Um, let me have a look. It is opposition to individual isolated practices. So there's a. Oh, it's a big one as well. So because there's so much of it out there, 
and we're so yeah passionate of well you, everything you just talked about and then um if it wasn't for simon clifford meeting janino i don't know where we'd be at with futsal in this country hail janino um and that quote uh, learning to swim on dry land i think's brilliant and perfectly conjures up everything that we're hearing against it almost um and the link between the two was always that Brazilian soccer schools had football de salon, which is futsal. Um, and it gives you your opportunity to make those mistakes and put that link between learning to swim and dry land. And I even think maybe a, a better analogy might be learning to surf on dry land because a surfboard is the extra thing like the football, isn't it? So if you want to learn to surf you don't just get thrown in the sea with a surfboard and go jump up on that board you spend I don't know how many times re- repeating trying to jump up from the floor on the beach on yeah, yeah on the beach onto the board and then you straight away jump in the sea and can you do it with the randomness of the waves and every time you do it it's making mistakes you've got that feedback slightly though. different and mm-hmm. and you've got the safety of falling into the sea which is you know you're going to be all right aren't you yeah generally um so I think that surfing might be it's just a slightly better analogy. Yeah, and than of the, course you could just go one. straight in with a surfboard and try and learn on the job. But if and you somebody do this, might be able to do that. Yeah, but it would be obviously I think, in my opinion, which doesn't count for anything, a lot harder than if you practice the technique and you got used to that initial jump and the explosiveness that you need to get up and balance. Like, and yes, that, you do have to relearn that again outside. Yeah, of course you do. But you've accelerated that learning by doing the technique but on dry land. There's it's definitely a, a reason a surfer does that and every surfer probably that's ever learned to surf has practiced that on the beach because it works. And I don't know how else to get the point across to people <laughs> that individual ball mastery, technique training or techers training as you call it with the kids, it works. So for me, the the, the moment the penny dropped was... I'd done a load of research into Brazilian soccer schools before I'd even met you and to the point where I went and bought myself a bag of balls and thought this is all I'm going to do in my coaching going <laughs> forward um, so I bought a bag of size 2 football de salon balls futsal balls and I went into the back garden and I just practiced the things that I could find on YouTube which was individual practice and I could feel myself becoming a better mover and a better player and and all the things that we talk about constantly. Um, yeah, because what we should children sorry, but in but children don't need to get everything right that we're showing them. No, they find their own way through exploration. That's the key word. They they're going to explore and try to find find their own way with it. And the very least, they're getting purposeful touches of the ball, and they're learning how to move and to move better and to learn how to learn for themselves. Sorry, Jeff. No, it, it's all good. And then there's things you can do to help those steps, which is to randomise the individual patterns, isn't it? So you can go, this is very repetitive, do this, but then combine it with this, and you can come up with your own individual unique thing that nobody else in the world's doing. So you can add your own randomness to the um, non-random training, if that makes sense in any way at all. But Repeating something without repeating it. Yeah repetitiveness without 
being repetitive. Don't know there's a quote there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's in there somewhere. So. But the, the key is then to give them the opportunity and the freedom to go and try these things in the matches. And a lot do. Um, some don't. They sort of revert back to whatever sort of player they might be. But even the ones who aren't trying these skills, they're moving better. They've got a better touch of the ball and it improves their confidence massively if they can do some of these things. And it's um, something that they can go and show parents. Ask, what did you learn today? Oh, we learned this, this and this. And you know, sometimes I say, I think I did it in our last session with you, Jeff. You probably wouldn't use this skill in a match, but just by practicing it will help you move better. It will give you better footwork. So you kind of need to explain um what you're trying to get out of the session or the players are going to get out of the session. You're almost trying to stop people dismissing it before they dismiss it when you do that. Yeah. And I mean, the, the trouble is, Jeff, you look at TikTok and YouTube and things like that, and I saw one the other day which was on ladders. I don't know if you'd seen it. And it was done to some um, dance music, some urban house something or whatever, and there was kids in a line doing ladder drills literally choreographed so they were doing it identical and the footwork was really good and I thought oh I wonder what this is for and it was for it was football training and you can imagine what the comments were like some of it was excellent oh they're learning how to move brilliant and some was this is a load of rubbish give them a ball and this isn't going to make them good footballers and all that type of stuff but there's no context they're probably all right depending on what the coach yeah. is trying to get out of it. If he and says, I want them to move better because they're all stiff, then maybe. And I know that you can do movements patterns on ladders that you can do with a ball. So that might be your best starting point. That might be you're learning to jump up onto the board for a surfer. So your ladders might be, there's one called a Nicky shuffle, mm -hmm. which is basically going out and in, shuffling across the ladders as you go forwards. It's the same as our out in movements in a core skill so you put the ladders together with a ball later maybe for somebody who's struggling to, with their movement patterns you might have a child like me that has dyspraxia that doesn't move very well you might have to go ladder work first then add the ball in to accelerate the ball work which accelerates you as a footballer but you have to have a certain type of coach to understand all of those things to put it together in a context that is going to build towards an outcome that we want to get to eventually, which is using that in a game to change direction yeah, um, smoothly and efficiently and quickly enough to have success in a game of football. I'm glad we've gone down this rabbit hole a bit because one of the questions that's coming up is about one-to-one -one coaching um, and you just saying a coach has really got to be more or less an expert in child development there for individual children about which yeah. stage to go in at and when to progress it and stuff not just copying something off tiktok or youtube exactly. and then going and applying it with the next child that you've got in your next session we can get onto that in a minute when we when we get the question um cool so we went right off on one there didn't we because it was only uh, what is difference between skill and what's technique and i we are always going to when we're that we care probably about that as much as anything don't we yeah well i'd say that's what we're if i allowed to say it that's what we're experts in and quite rightly I don't think any coach can be an expert at everything and you know if I have a team to to coach I'm not an expert in team tactics and getting a group to win a game of football but I like to think that I'm an expert in individual development of footballers 
and I use a, a ball to do that. That's what we're passionate about. Woof. There's lots of um, jack of all trades and master of nuns out there in the coaching world, isn't there? Yeah, well, people say I'm a football coach, or you know, and they a bit of ego comes in, and they think they have to be expert when they're watching England play. Oh, this is what Gareth Southgate should do, and <laughs> you know, and, and, and they run another nines team. Yeah, and, yeah. and putting um, you know blogs out about certain teams and and what they should and shouldn't do and you think, well, you're not an expert in that you've never been in that environment um i'm not an expert at sort of team football and getting a group to win a game of, of football but i think i'm an expert in one area which is skill acquisition basically isn't it jeff yeah you've got to be good at something don't you Paz? well yeah <laughs> i guess it's taken me over 20 years should have just started playing a guitar or something I might be pretty good at that now. <laughs> but you you're choose, very good at you? writing books as well. Um, Thank you. And hosting podcasts. Well, you've been carrying me. We've gone full circle, haven't we? <laughs> Back to start. Anyway, let's crack on because time is getting away from us. Question number two. Yes. Question sent in. Neither myself or my partner come from a football background, so everything is new for us. Our son is an under nine with a local grassroots team and has progressed really well over the past year. I hear a lot of parents talk about the need, if we are serious about his development, to play for two teams and join an elite league. We are confused about the whole thing and really need some guidance. Mm, very common. Yeah, I was going to say that was, I, I think that's the most common theme that I'm seeing in grassroots football yes. over the past three, four years. Almost, if you're not playing for two teams, you can forget it, is the... Narrative, of, yeah. Na narrative, thank you. Great word. The narrative that's being pushed at the moment. Um, and I have one just on Monday evening. And to add some context, it's now Thursday, is it? Yep. Yes. Um, exactly the same thing. Parent confused. I'm not sure what to do. She stands out there with all the parents in the sort of the foyer... And she's hearing lots of stories about how their child's doing so well in this wonderful team that's brilliant and doing this, that and the other. And, and it's just a lot of egos and I don't really like it. Anyway, back to the meat and bones of the question. Um, you do not have to be playing for two teams for your child to develop and here she says when she say it has progressed really well over the past year so whatever the child's doing um it's going well so why risk that development and them doing well by trying to chase another few percent maybe at the risk of cocking it all up in my opinion if they're on the right trajectory keep them on it but parents get very maybe impatient and want to hurry things up, especially when they're seeing on social media and hearing other parents saying, oh, yeah, you've got to be playing for two teams and you've got to be playing in an elite league, etc., etc." I I don't like playing for two teams in a weekend. I've said it before. The amount of time spent in a car traveling um, and, you know, compared to the actual time that your child's going to get on the ball. We worked it out once, didn't we? Something like over a weekend, you might get five or six minutes if you're lucky on the ball. 
it's not enough time to get better at football. Matches give you experience and, you know, and um, you get experience of different elements of the game and, and you develop a certain intuition for the actual game. But actually getting better at football, it's not enough because you're not getting enough contact time with the actual ball. Um, and if they're happy at the team they're playing for, keep them there and there's just no rush. What age group was it? Under nines. Means he's probably eight. Is it he or she? Yeah, son. So he's a, he's eight years old and you're trying to rush things and force things forward when perhaps they don't need to because in trying to chase something and pushing forward you might do more harm than good. Training's the key, Jeff. If you're going to take them to another team, make sure the training's excellent. But how they know whether training's excellent if they've got no experience is, yeah. is a tricky one. And we've we've talked about that before as well. I've written here, more match time doesn't mean more development. The training is key. This really gets me down because <laughs> everybody's well-intentioned, aren't they? Everyone thinks they're doing the right thing by adding in an extra team on the weekend for their, you know, a parent starting up the team or whoever's big idea it is to put all the best players together to go and win Super Elite League, whatever it's called. They are doing it for, they think it's the best thing for their kids and the other kids in the area that need to be extra challenged because they're flourishing at the moment in mm -hmm. one team. So everyone's intentions are really, really good. But the actual outcomes of their actions, from what I've seen, are generally really, really bad. And mm -hmm. I, that sounds like quite a big blanket thing, but... Not just the standard football, but the psychological damage that some of Yeah, and 12 to 18 months shelf life, I feel like it has when you go and do this, when you go and chase it. and So you'll have 12 months of thinking, this was the best decision we ever made. We've joined a new Saturday team that play in Super Elite League Division 1 and blah, 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 and it looks really good and you're having a great season, you're winning everything, you're winning every game by however many goals and... Well, it must be because the development's so good and the coaching's so good and they're really well drilled and all the things that impress parents so the sessions look good and then all the parents then go to their other sessions and say how great the sessions are and how great the coaching mm -hmm. is. And then 18 months down the line, you've got a kid who started losing suddenly when they've been bigged up to be mm -hmm. super elite, best team in the Lost area. Lost a couple of players to another elite team or something. And then suddenly they're falling out of love with the game and all those good intentions in the start flipped around and you know people have fallen out or you know and someone's moved on and mm -hmm. and all they end up longing for is what they had before with their nice grassroots team that might have folded by now because the manager's given up because they've lost some of their players and and all that stuff and all they long for is to go back to what they had before they chased it and went two teams at the weekend and extra training and and all that stuff and if they'd have just, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And the development's happening and they're under nines. <laughs> the previous one was under sevens. This one's under nines. It's like, it's become just, very serious. And just enjoy, just enjoy it. I know it's cliche, but just enjoy the journey. Make the most of what you've got. And don't go chasing things that 
don't need to be chased because we see it all the time. 12 to 18 month shelf life. Yeah. One aspect that's um, not talked about a lot either and it's sometimes done subconsciously and a, a lot of parents will think that would never be me. Um, but I have seen it. If a parent or parents are giving up a large chunk of their Saturdays and a large chunk of their Sundays driving their child around um, so they sacrifice their time it's expensive with two teams petrol money sacrificing time with the family their own hobbies um, siblings might not get as much time um, of you of their time um, lots of sacrifices like that I have seen it where parents think they're owed something, even if it's subconsciously by their child. So when their child suddenly says, you know, oh, football's not for me anymore. I want to go and try boxing like my son did or hockey or whatever it might be. You've put so much into it, put so much skin in the game for using that term, um, that you find it really, really difficult and will try and cling on to it. And your identity might be entwined with I'm a, I'm a, football mum or football dad and my weekends are sacrificing for my child and then your child turns around like they do don't want to play anymore especially when they get to big school and they've got other things going on um it's quite a dangerous route to go down i feel and you're i've seen resentment from from parents who just wanted their children to play even if they didn't want them to play at the professional level, they just wanted to play at local team and they could go and watch them and have a pint while they watched them. A lot of dads are like that. As long as they play good standard local football and I can go and watch them and have a pint on a Saturday afternoon and suddenly a child's quit. It's kind of your dreams being entangled with theirs and it can be very difficult to deal with when it all comes crashing down. So you've got to be very careful. You need time for yourself. Um, there's another chapter in the book about this, really. Time for yourself, time for other family members, time for your own hobbies. Don't make your weekends all about traipsing around the country for your child's football. That's why I think one day's enough. If it's a good team, good training, and have another day for for the family, for other hobbies, interests, or um, take them to another training session if you want, but not, you know, all the travel and all the competitiveness are... I'm not a fan. I know people are. It's not going to change. But that's my 10 penny worth. I don't think it's a magic formula. Oh, I'm going to put my kid into two teams now and they're going to be twice as good, which I think a lot of parents think. It's easy shortcut, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think a different hobby altogether is a great, great shout. Just martial arts or, you know, you might find that they actually help accelerate the football development as well. Often some of them are called donor sports, where practising one crosses, crosses, crosses over <coughs> to improve another sport. I don't think I've heard it called a donor sport. Before. You haven't read my book then, Geoffrey. Because mm. it's in there, I think. Is it? Yeah, it's on um, early specialisation chapter and playing... Lots of different sports. Well, maybe that'll come out on the next randomizer. God, wouldn't that be so random? <laughs> what a nice link. <laughs> Shame I didn't um, have my phone ready. Yeah, you put it away again, didn't you? So, randomize. Mm-hmm. 29. Have we had 29? No. No, okay. 
29. Oh my goodness. This fits in with what we've just been talking about. Blimey, it does, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, chapter 29, avoid chasing the dream. There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. Beverly Sills. So that's the opening quote. I have no idea who that is. I've no idea who that no. is either. I yeah. must have done when I put it in the book. <laughs> Probably my next door neighbour at the time or something. <laughs> no. Um, we should Google it. Beverly leaning on the window sills. Yes, exactly that. But um, thanks, Beverly. That's a, a great opening quote. There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. So, yeah, this is just going to be an extension of what we've just talked about. Um, chasing the dream somewhere else and not being satisfied I mean, that you're getting enough. That's quite are. a similar quote to the Will Smith one in the, in the last chapter as well, isn't it? About beating on your craft. There's no shortcuts. It's a very similar type of message, isn't it? There just, just isn't. There just aren't any shortcuts to anything worthwhile in life. This is what I think parents do. They put them into a second team because they think that's the quickest shortcut. Maximise the weekend. Um, but at the risk of what? So anyway, shall I do the opening couple of paragraphs on here? I'm sure it'll fit in nicely to what we've been saying. And then any of the key takeaways. I would say that it is the biggest and most detrimental thing I see parents do regularly. I've known 10-year-olds who have had 8, 9, 10 or more different clubs. It usually stems from a parent who believes their child is very good and is desperately searching for someone to see what they see. They see on social media that a club has had players get signed professionally or is playing in a league that scouts might watch and they think they must take their child there as they just need an opportunity. They usually believe their child to be better, or at least as good as, the players who are getting signed by professional clubs. Statistics show that almost 100% of parents believe their child to be above average. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but even I know that that means at least half of them must be wrong. To be a professional, a player has to develop to a very high level in so many different areas, technically, physically and mentally. There are no shortcuts to this. My advice is to not go chasing externally, but look internally. The important thing is the process of continual daily personal development and improvement within an environment that's engaging, challenging and fun. Success, in quotes, is an outcome. And outcomes can only be achieved by going through the relevant process. If your child keeps changing clubs, has private coaches and attends expensive training centres, then I'm afraid it is likely you are chasing the outcome and looking for shortcuts. <coughs> Excuse me, dry throat after reading all that. Um, and it's quite... Well, three pages long, so that was the first two paragraphs. I've highlighted one part here, which is setting some long-term goals and short-term targets, all with development in mind, can help children engage with the process and stay on track to achieving their desired outcomes. So there's a whole chapter on goal setting. And the end quote is, concentrate on the process and the outcome will take care of itself. And that's various. I've heard that lots of times. Yeah, it's probably the most quoted thing I hear over the past. Yeah, it's become cliche now, though, yeah. isn't it? Even though it's so important. People talk about it all the time. I think even if they're not really that focused on the process. And it's so easy to say it after you've had a good outcome, isn't it? And yeah. yeah, so going back to the question that we had earlier with the under nine, they're on the right trajectory. Um, you know, they seem to be doing all the right things so 
keep doing it because they're they're whatever they're doing is working so that's the process so as we said in the opening chapter there are no shortcuts Whew. i think we've done that one to death with the last question on this one anything you want to add on that no i think it's all very self-explanatory now and we've like you say we've done it haven't we so what are we on to now another uh, randomizer no it's another question should we go with one more question oh, one yeah. more randomizer and then we've done three and three yeah cool one more question so it's question number three yeah is it my turn to read it is isn't it yeah it is I recently put a post on a Facebook group asking if anyone could recommend a one-to-one -one coach for my son to help increase his confidence. Lots of names were suggested and people tagged, and now I'm not sure who the best one will be. What should I be looking for? Go on, <laughs> on Pez, I'll let you um, um, get yourself into trouble now. Yeah, well, I won't go too deeply into it, but there is a chapter in the book about one-to-one -one coaching and coaches... Um, and it is entitled Beware of the Cowboys um, or Cowgirls because there are a lot of them out there. My advice would be, well, let's go right back to the beginning, Jeffrey. Um, I'm not always sure that one-to-one -one coaching is a quick fix for anything, especially confidence. Um, you've got to be very, very careful. In fact... I saw this post on Facebook and I um, took photographs of the chapter of my book and sent it to them to, to help them out. So they've already had a bit of advice, but it's no good for a podcast, is it? But I just felt so strongly that this person needed some advice because it was clear that they were trying to get some quick fix. Oh, my child's struggling with their confidence. Oh, I know, private coaching, that'll fix it. And it can often do more harm than good. Um, and the main reasons for that are a child can think if you're suddenly giving them tuition in something that they must be rubbish at it or not very good at it or they're lacking in some area. Um, and it's football and it's a game and it's fun and it might be a passion for them and suddenly they're feeling like they're not good enough or that their parents don't think they're good enough or else why are they getting this extra tuition? And suddenly you're sowing seeds in their head that shouldn't really be there. And if you say, we're going there to try and increase your confidence, they feel, like, well, what's wrong with my confidence? And you're putting these things into them. Oh, am I someone who struggles with confidence? And, and it can do, as I've said, uh, a lot more harm than, than good. And it can also make the child think that football is more important to their parents than it is to them. Like, what, what's going on why am I suddenly getting extra tuition I don't get extra tuition for um, FIFA and I don't get extra tuition for um, skateboarding or riding my BMX and the other things that I'm interested in or books that I like to read why am I suddenly getting it for football I'm either rubbish or my parents think it's really really important and to be honest I only want to play with my mates and have a laugh and it can can really accelerate Bad things like low self-esteem, low confidence, and accelerate towards quitting the game altogether. That's the serious side. Mind you, it's all serious. But we've um, we've been approached a lot over the years, haven't we? For one-to-ones yeah. and get it all the time, Jeff. Quite often, it's a well-meaning parent again that's yes. coming saying, 
they really need to work on this and they'll say that in front of the child and every time my heart just sinks because yeah. I think you're just telling that child that you don't think they're good enough at something. Yeah. If you could just teach them to shoot straight, if yeah, you could just teach them to pass, you just teach them to go to the ball. Go to the ball was yeah. always the one that baffled me. <laughs> and they say it in front of the child yeah. and you're like, well, now you've sown a seed in them, you know, that they're going to be conscious of that all the time and actually you'll make it worse. And sometimes, the, you know. The best thing you can do is celebrate the successes when they come along, isn't it? Like, yeah. Well done, I was really proud of the way that you got on the ball today and dictated the game, or, you know, something like that. God, Jack, we have one child, we won't name any names, whose parent was always on about them going to the ball. They, they never go to the ball. Can you teach them to go to the ball? We have one-to-ones. Can you do single them out in sessions for going to the ball? And they ignored the amazing things that this kid could do. Unbelievable on the ball. Technique was amazing, could go past players. <clears throat> difficult to read very very skillful yet parents had this big thing about not going to the ball because other players were doing that it's like well you need to praise them for the things that they're good at and sometimes double down on those things and sometimes weaknesses as i've said before you only need to get to a competent level at you don't need to be a master of every aspect of the game because even professional players aren't some are good in the air, some are good at holding the ball up, some are good at dribbling, some are great passers over short distances, some are great passers over long distances. You can't, as a parent, go chasing everything. Confidence I get because you want your kids to have confidence. My, my point is you can often do more harm than good without even realising it and it's not a quick fix, especially if you're going to someone who doesn't know much about children's development and well-being. I mean, when I was doing one-to-one -one coaches, I, I did um, a children's mental health qualification because I was so worried about getting this aspect right. I wanted the whole package, not just putting some cones down, dribbling through and saying, shoot with your left foot, shoot with your right. And this is what you could do in this situation um, in a match. I just think be very, very careful with it. Um, and for the basics I've written down here, you must check that they've got qualifications, insurance and a DBS. Be amazed how many coaches out there are doing one-to-ones without those things and people never ask. Um, a lot of them have insurance through the FA from being sort of a level one coach or as part of a sort of team setup. That doesn't insure you for paid work or for one-to-one um, -one sessions. So there's, I'd say, I don't know, the majority of one-to-one -one coaches out there haven't got the right insurance, which doesn't sound too much, but if a kid turns their ankles during it or a dog runs over and bites them or anything like that, then, you know, and they're responsible for that child, then everyone could be in big trouble. Anything else? There used to be a TV show called Cowboy Builders, didn't there? <laughs> and I, there should be one for Cowboy Cowgirl, one-to-one -one coaches going around checking their insurance and um, flagging up when someone's conservatory's falling down. Yeah, no, <laughs> a lot of the time they don't um, they don't hire the facility that they're yeah. using, so they'll just tip up on a bit of grass somewhere. Again, if a child. 
it puts their foot in a rabbit hole and, and breaks a, a bone or a dog comes and bites them. With, with the right coaches and the right people, it can be a really powerful thing that improves yeah. technical ability, confidence and all, all the things. But you almost we, have to be an expert, don't you? And they're yeah. very... They're very rare and few and far rare. between. And it, a lot of it's just copy, cut and paste, isn't it? I've seen this on YouTube or this is the latest trend or so that's what I'm going to do in my sessions for the next six weeks until I see the next thing that and there's no applying it to the individual um, and their needs and their stage of development and it's more about the coach and well it's completely about the coach normally especially if they're posting it all over social media um, then you've probably there's your red flag to know that it's about them and not about your child yeah so you need to look at someone who's probably got a proven record with developing kids yeah. Um, and maybe speak to current players that are going to them or more importantly previous ones that have left because if ones are going they're going to say nice things but you need to get a well-rounded so tricky because they might have a, a list of lo- load of players that have gone on to do really well but I mean, is it because of their one-to-one coaching or where they've nicked those players from in the first place Yeah. Mm. well I know one-to-one coaches that will actively seek out the parents of those types of children that are doing well and can go on and message them on Facebook and things and say, I think I can really help your child improve in this area of the game and can do some one-to-ones. And and if you read between the lines, it's, I think your child can really help my social media status when I put some videos of them being good in my sessions when they've got good somewhere else. Yeah. Absolutely. Pat yourself in the back, well done. I've known one-to-one coaches seek out people that have got money and then saying, I can really help your child for £50 an hour. Um, it's um, it's quite sinister, some of it out there. So be very, very careful. I'll probably just confuse more people than help there, Jeffrey. But again, Yeah, what we need to do is go out and do loads of one-to-one coaches, don't we? Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like we're trying to big ourselves up, but we haven't done any for a long time, no, have we? We need so to find a way of getting it's out It's not there. like it's... Uh, um, anything that's competitive to us just it's just something that you need to get right the the problem is jeff is there's no governing body for it Mm. so there's no private coaches governing body that you have to be a member of and that you can be sure that they've had all the relevant checks done and someone can come around and say what you like what you do yeah it's just all based on trust isn't it i would trust you if i had a child to coach my child in any yeah. setting, one to one or whatever, um, but until you, I don't know, it's a real hard thing for a parent, isn't it? Uh, I, so, if in doubt, best avoided, I think. But difficult if this child has been to a team, had a bad experience, and they want to build up their confidence. Um, you know, where do you go? I put them into a nice village team, maybe, and. Let them have some fun for a while and remember yourself and get it through to your kid. It's not that important. Having fun is. And why not just swap the time for go and practice on your own? Uh, it doesn't have to be go and practice on your own, but I, I remember spending hours down the local playing mm-hmm. field on my own, kicking the ball around, trying things out. Like It doesn't have to be with an adult telling you to dribble through some curtains, does it? No. No. Um, and ping footballs in the top corner of goals and things yeah. and use your imagination imagine you're playing in the 
FA Cup final at Wembley or something and go and enjoy yourself for a couple of hours. I'm not sure that happens anymore, Jeff, because people don't need to imagine no, kids can true. go and do it on FIFA now and actually playing an FA Cup final. I don't know. Anyway, I hope that's given a, a few pointers for that one. Some, again, another one I'm quite passionate about, so go on a little bit. Final randomizer. Final randomizer, mate. 62. Have we had 62 before you go find internet? No, we've had 61. I should have made a note of these again, shouldn't I? Uh, I did. I know we had 142, but then I don't 62, know. 62, 142. I'll write those down. What do we have in between? I can't remember. I'm not sure. Right. Oh, what number was it? Sorry, 60, 62. 62. Oh, my goodness me. Private coaches and one to one. No, you're joking. Avoid the Cowboys. No. Shall we, um, we do another randomizer? Yeah, do another. Although I could read the quotes. Go on. Then. It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. That's by Mark Twain. I could read some of the takeaways quickly. Shania's brother. I, quite possibly. As Robert Greene says, we're living in the age of the con artist. Not the traditional type who's particularly trying to con you out of anything specific, but people who are trying to con you into believing they are competent, knowledgeable and successful. I love that. Robert Greene's books. You read one of his as well. I think you recommended it to me. I rec- that's For the first time ever, that's a quote that I recommended a book to you from. Yes. What was his book? Mast- mastering? No. Oh, oh. No, he had such an interest in life, didn't he? He was amazing. He's written a few books. He came up in a podcast that you recommended that I listened to yesterday, actually. Mastery. I'm sure that was one of his books. Anyway. Anyway, um, other bits I've highlighted. For one-to-one coaching to be effective, the coach needs to be an absolute expert in their field. Other things that children enjoy, like riding their bikes, skateboarding, or even computer games, never have one-to-one coaching offered. So it can leave them feeling that football is more important to their parents than it is to them. I'm glad we're consistent with what we say, Jeff. Yeah. Let's just go and over what we've done. If some coaches put as much effort into being a good coach as they do in pretending to be a good coach, they could actually be a good coach. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. It's true, though, isn't it? You see him on social media all the time and that, and you think, go and do some personal development courses. Go and improve your knowledge. You can apply that to anybody in any walk of life though can't you yeah you can yeah how many of us spend most of our life complaining about something rather than just going and doing it all but still one of my favorite quotes yeah and one of the the end quote is one of mine yeah it's so easy to be fooled when you're being told exactly what you want to hear it's very similar to the opening quote but a I, I, serious note happens a lot with coaches they prey on some sort of weakness or something that a parent's worried about, like going to the ball, for example, and then they prey on that yeah. and go, I can help your kid go to the ball, you do it this way and that way, and you think, that's exactly what I want, that's exactly what I want to hear, and before you know it, you're parting with a lot of money for a, a group of five sessions. <laughs> and um, I, I think this is a really good place to leave the podcast on, because it feels like we've been building up to that quote. It's so easy to be fooled when you're being told exactly what you want to hear, because... That's the thing that I've seen so much, and it's now my absolute red flag if I was going to say, do you know what, don't let your kid go anywhere near. And when somebody's telling you everything you want to hear, it will always be more about that coach than it is about your child. I've, uh, the, the reason I respect you so much, Pez, is you'll tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. So it might cost us money down the line with people dropping out or whatever it might affect business it might be but what they need to hear is more important than what they want to hear 
Um, and I don't think it's coaching when you just tell somebody what they want to hear all the time. Well, we're in the business of developing children, not developing money. So you have to start these things and continue with the right philosophy morally. There we go. Okay, I agree. We'll leave it there then, Jeffrey. Because it just leads on to your final quote that you always leave us with. It does, but I do have a couple of things just to add here, Jeffrey. Um, I'd like to wish young Mo and Corey, who works for me and plays for Wessex, good luck. Is it this weekend or coming up? They've got yep. England camps, the pair of them, for their respective age groups, um, for futsal. Um We've known these two players for a long, long time. I say Corey's one of one of my coaches at Pezzas and, and plays for you at Wessex. So I think it's only right that we wish him all the best of luck with that and go and enjoy it. Uh, and Mo's mum is a big part of the reason that we're here, that today, here today doing yeah. a podcast. Um, Mo came to Pezzas Street Soccer. Um, I got invited in on her radio show at the time. Mm-hmm. And I asked if you could come in with me. Yeah, that's normal. And then you got the bug for doing the radio show, which then turned into a podcast, The Inner yeah. Huddle. Um, and you kept dragging me back ever since. So, yeah, the biggest mistake of my life was inviting you along to that radio show with oh, thanks. Mo's mum. Thanks, Mo and Mo's mum. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. invited you in. It was a keep-you-up challenge, wasn't it? Is that right you were doing? Yeah, I was raising money for the futsal club at the time. Um, and... Mo's mum thought it'd be a good idea to get in on local radio to promote it. And you said, come on, make Pez come. And we had a holiday camp coming up, so we thought, oh yeah, that'd be a good idea to promote um, kids in the local area coming and doing some futsal at the time as well. So it all and then we got our own show. All tied in nicely. For a year yeah. or whatever it was, year and a half. On Castle Down FM. Yeah, great days, enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, and that, that obviously led to the podcast and the rest, as they say, is history um please subscribe and share we do get thankfully a lot of downloads from all over the world from some quite bizarre countries as well that you would think wouldn't think that we'd be uh big in like azerbaijan and things like that um but please do subscribe because it really helps us grow the, the podcast um even if you haven't enjoyed it just subscribe <laughs> and and share it if you can um, because the majority don't actually subscribe to it but if you do you'll obviously get a little notification from your podcast app to say that when the next one's been released and helps us and helps you to keep on top of everything that is your child's football development and this episode is sponsored by my book Jeffrey which is did you win? Did you score? How to help your child succeed at football and life. And it is available on Amazon. Just type in my name, Perry Cocking, and you will find it. Happy? Very. I enjoyed that, Jeffrey. Good job, Pez. I always enjoy hanging out with you. And what else would we do? Well, probably go to the pub and hang out, wouldn't we? Really? Let's have it right. <laughs> Talking about we should do a podcast. Quite possibly. Now, I've enjoyed that one, Jeff, and I, I think we've uh, we've done all right. So thank you, as always. And never forget, football isn't that important, but children are. And we'll see you next time.